Welcome to Speaking of Grace, the weekly message podcast from the Whole Life Church in Orlando, Florida. We're a multi-ethnic, multicultural, and multi-generational congregation committed to our mission of loving people into a lifelong friendship with God. We are committed to our vision of being a church without walls, fully engaged in serving the people of our community. Thank you for joining us as we continue Speaking of Grace. Good afternoon. This is not the first time I have heard movies talked about from the pulpit. It was 1977, and the movie was in search of Noah's Ark. It had just been released, and this was a big deal. Christians, Adventists were so excited about this movie, and it was coming to my hometown theater. Well, not my personal theater, but coming to my hometown. The problem is we didn't go to movies. <laughs> this is where the crisis kicked in because it's about the ark. Certainly we... So one Sabbath, our elder, our lead head elder, got up to the, in front of the church, in front of the congregation, and made the announcement that he was sending a delegation to the theater to watch the movie. And then following Sabbath, they would bring a report back, letting us know their findings. <clears throat> now, I was 12 years old. I was so excited. Our very own Joshua and Caleb moment was happening in our church. It was thrilling. That whole week, I wondered, would we be able to go in or would we wander the entertainment wilderness for the next 40 years, wondering what happened in that movie? How times have changed. I'm really grateful that Pastor Ken selected this series. The film we have today, there is so much to learn from. And if you haven't see it, I, seen it, I would so encourage you to watch it. If you're like me, you read Google reviews. Let me give you two of them about this film. The first one, this movie struck me in the heart. Did you have your heart struck this week? The other one said, wow, just wow. I hope you get a chance to see it. If you haven't, you won't be lost today because we're going to share some images from the film. The name of the film is Something the Lord Made. It's actually three stories. It's first the story of medical innovation. It's also a story about the Jim Crow era in America and the devastating impacts of embedded systemic racism. It's also a story of personal choice and transformation. We will watch two individuals as they search for their purpose and their meaning against the backdrop of those two things. Pray with me. Dear God, we are grateful for the time we have together this morning. I ask that you would open our hearts and open our minds. Let us hear your words today. We pray in your name. Amen. Okay, cliff notes, crash course on uh, the medical innovation side. This is the story of Dr. Alan Blaylock and Mr. Vivian Thomas. It's Nashville, 1930. This is the HBO movie poster. We first meet Vivian Thomas, a highly skilled 
but out-of-work carpenter. He needs a job. He has dreams of going to medical school, but the depression is going to most likely rob him of that dream. Thomas lands a job as a lab assistant working for Dr. Alfred Blaylock. Blaylock is an ambitious, uh, aspiring, ego-driven surgeon at Vanderbilt University. Blaylock is looking for the clinical solution for traumatic shock. Now, in 1930s, shock, which seems odd today, was still killing thousands of people. There was not a medical solution. That's what their work was about. So Blaylock and Thomas get to work. It became immediately obvious that Vivian Thomas was a rare talent. While only having a high school diploma, no formal medical training, he had skills, intellect, drive, and aptitude that quickly moved him beyond lab assistant. Little did Dr. Blaylock know, but in Thomas, he had a person who would become the preeminent researcher and surgical educator of his era. Based on their success, their success, at Vanderbilt, Dr. Blaylock was recruited to Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore, Maryland, as the head of general surgery. No more prestigious medical institution in 1940, and in that institution, head of surgery is the prestigious position. Now, Blaylock insisted that Hopkins also recruit Vivian Thomas. Now, before you think of Blaylock as some sort of white savior or crusader, he knew he could not do his work without Thomas. His extraordinary skills made it possible for Blaylock to do what he wanted to to get done clinically. Well, at Hopkins is where the big breakthrough happened. Their focus was on a complicated cardiac anomaly, a heart defect that resulted in poor oxygenation in newborns. If your baby had this in 1940, one out of a 50% chance likely your baby would have died by the age of three. By the age of 10, babies born with this defect, 90% of those babies died by the age of 10. Parents were desperate, and the medical establishment had no solutions. This is where they focused their efforts. The belief of that day was that you could not operate on a baby's heart. That was the problem. It was thought to be scientifically impossible and actually morally questionable. Why would you operate on a baby's heart? When they made their intentions known, Blaylock and Thomas, that that's exactly what they intended to do, they had scorn and judgment and ridicule rain down upon them. But like all great innovators, they pressed ahead. Together, they did the research, they developed the procedures, designed the tools, perfected the necessary techniques, and practiced and practiced and practiced. And in 1944, they successfully completed their first surgery on a baby that survived. Medical breakthrough. The the thousands of babies since that day have been saved due to this clinical innovation. This is no longer a death sentence for babies. Headlines circled the globe. Patients came in droves for care. Doctors came from around the world for training. Blaylock and Thomas were true pioneers in every sense of the word, ushering in a new era of cardiac surgery. I will tell you, if you or someone in your family has ever had cardiac surgery, send them a thank you card. 
they created the modern version of cardiac surgery. While these two men were equal in capabilities, society did not see them as equals. In 1940s Baltimore, every part of society was structured to ensure that Vivian Thomas, and actually every black person in that city, it was structured to make sure they knew they were less than, not equal. Forced off the sidewalk if whites were coming, being doubted, questioned in every situation, to only ever be thought of as the help, he was constantly reminded of his status. See that man? That's Johns Hopkins himself. Sir William Osler, the father of modern American medicine. William Halstead, invented a mastectomy. Let me show you some of the others. Excuse me. All workers punch in at the rear entrance. He's with me. That don't make any difference. Do you know who I am? No, sir. <laughs> Dr. Blaylock, chief surgical professor. Well, I'm sorry, Dr. Blaylock, but that's the rules. I'll meet you in the labs, Vivian. Vivian was ahead of his time. Black men did not wear white lab coats when he arrived at Hopkins. They were dishwashers, they were janitors, and that's all. It would be another 20 years from his arrival that the first black medical student would be accepted as a student at Johns Hopkins. And his competency didn't help. Even though those who worked with him saw firsthand his genius, understood the strength of his contributions, it was not enough. Even Blaylock, who knew him the best, well, you saw his level of advocacy. I'll meet you in the back. I'm sure it was not lost on you that all of this conversation takes place at the base of Jesus and his outstretched hands. The statue is a reminder having Jesus in the lobby means nothing if his words are not in your heart. With those outstretched arms in the background, you can almost hear his words. John 3, 13, 13, 34, love one another as I have loved you. Mark 12, 31, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater. We're kind of a commandment-keeping group. We index to greatest commandments. Love one another. And finally, in Philippians, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. <clears throat> you kind of wish Jesus could just whisper that. This movie is a stark reminder of the racism, oppression, and whatever phobia you want to insert that can come from those identifying as Christians. Now, I'm not naive and neither are you. You live in the same world I live in. But I do confess, I go home at night sometimes confused and 
confused by what some will do with the powerful words of Jesus. These powerful commands to love one another somehow get translated into the back doors for you. I honestly don't understand how that translation occurs. In this movie, it would be easy to conclude that because the Jim Crow era is gone, that things are better. And you know what they are. And much of what was posted on signs, like whites only, the signs are gone, but a lot of it has just settled into people's hearts. So as you think and watch about this movie, resist the temptation to assume it's all good. The third theme is one of personal transformation. Two men. Think of the two men. First, Vivian's journey. As the team completed that first surgery and their success went around the globe, the headlines started for John Hop Johns Hopkins, the institution, for Dr. Blaylock and his team, they became stars. I'm talking about Michael Jordan, Brad Pitt, Bill Gates type of stars. They had this amazing glow of recognition photo shoots, magazine covers, banquets in their honor, except for Vivian. Vivian Thomas was never included in that. There's one story in particular where after being left out yet again, Vivian disguises himself as a bellhop, sneaks into a banquet hall <clears throat> at the Belvedere Hotel. As he hides in the back, Blaylock is talking from the front. And he's recounting this great accomplishment in all the people who contributed. Except Vivian never hears his name. He just wants to hear his name and understand that his contribution was part of it. His name was not mentioned. This proved, this proved to be a breaking point for Vivian Thomas. This. Need to do something different. What about our work? You got all those other people you were thanking. Me. What are you talking about? Belvedere Hotel. Belvedere segregated. You were there. Snuck in, just like a bellhop. Is that what this is all about? Hobnobbing with the powers that be Vivian, they will never let you into their club. It is naive to think otherwise. Will you stand still? I'm not talking about them. I'm not talking about Hopkins. I'm talking about you. Me? What have I ever done except fight in your corner? I have taken you every step of the way with me, and now you want to throw all that away for what? Is that any way to show your gratitude? I don't know. You tell me, Doctor. Vivian, take pride in the fact you have power in your mind and in your heart. And in my hands. Exactly, in your hands. We made history together. We changed the world.
visible to the world. I don't mind that. I understand that. Thought it was different in here. Two lessons. The lack of acknowledgement is a deep and powerful form of rejection. Not being seen. I love how Vivian says it. Two things. One, not society I'm upset with. He knew how society thought about him. Not even my organization that I work for. They're the ones that told me to go through the back door. But I thought it was different with you. Thought it was different with you. And then he goes on to say, I thought in here it would be different. I thought in here it would be different. Those words kind of rattled around in my head for a while, and it made me wonder, is it different in here? Here. I'm talking about us. Is it different in here? There are those whose society will not acknowledge those whose organizations, maybe even our church at times, will refuse to acknowledge. But what about here? Will we acknowledge? Whatever it is that's keeping someone on the outside, let us say their name. Recognize them. See them. Hollywood has a poor track record of getting movies on race relations right. This happened most recently with The Green Book in 2019. I love this headline. The Green Book is a movie about racism made by white people for white people see the problem. <laughs> and you can see the issues that came up with that. I only bring that up to say, I think this movie gets some things right. And one of the things it gets right is the portrayal of Dr. Blaylock. He is no white savior. You. This is how you show your gratitude to me? It's too much. Oh, gratitude for taking from you the things that were rightfully yours, and I've just given you back a portion of what you should have had to begin with. The movie effectively, I think, goes into those issues. Jesus' greatest power was that he saw people. Seeing is the first step to relationship. The woman at the well, the thief on the cross, if I don't see you, I can't connect with you. Those around Vivian didn't see him. Man's greatest failing is that we don't see people. It's the final cry, Matthew 25, 44. Jesus, when did we see, see you? Seeing is everything. David Brooks has written a book called The Second Mountain. What Brooks says is that in life, we will have the opportunity to scale two mountains. The first mountain is about getting stuff done. Now, for those of you who are my age, I will not make you guess, 58. <clears throat> I want you to think about your 20s and 30s. For those of you who are in your 20s and 30s, see if this resonates. If it doesn't, you can straighten me out later. The first mountain is about accomplishment, acquisition, achievement, recognition, promotion. You're trying to get stuff done. Goals to get accomplished, maybe a master's degree to finish, run a marathon, get a title, earn some money. 
You may even be tempted to peek over at your friends. Who's moving faster? Who's got what job? What neighborhood are you in? That's first mountain stuff. The problem is once those things are achieved, what Brooke said is there's often a letdown. There's often a realization that what we have achieved isn't enough. It didn't actually hit the spot we thought it would. This can trigger a crisis, causes one to question, creates time for reflection, and consider maybe doing something different, something deeper, thus the opportunity to think about the second mountain. Now, the second mountain becomes about deeper things. Life becomes less about the parade outside and, what's hap- and more about what's happening inside. Purpose and meaning become more important than action and activity. A renewed understanding of the value of community, connection, and the relationships in your life, and maybe most importantly, the meaning of your life's work, how you spend your time. Now, this is where it gets tough for Vivian. He has earned the right to walk out of that lab. He has been treated unfairly. His entire existence is saturated in injustice. There is no debate about that. His most modest hopes just to be recognized go unmet. It's a first mountain disappointment. And now he's got a choice to make. He has got a choice to make. He has walked out of the lab and he enters into the wilderness. Now, this is a hard thing to say because when you look at Vivian, if anyone had a right to walk out, it was him. The problem is he's not where he needs to be. His heart and mind and his God-given talents belong in that lab. And he's got a problem. He has walked out of it. And I know there's a part of you when you see that movie, you think, Vivian, burn that thing down. Vivian, with the wise counsel of his wife. Do I need to say that again? (laughs) Realizes he has to go back in. He has to overcome his feelings of pride, which seems so nonsensical to say. His, His feelings of pride. He was so wronged. But you know what? It's him. It's his life. He's got to make a choice about who defines who he is and where he's going to go. He gets over his own feelings of pride, refuses to let the deficiencies of others rob him of his God-given talents and abilities. He's not going to let lesser people define him. He goes back. He goes back. How was your trip to Europe? Well, it's very gratifying. The entire world seems to have stood on its feet for this moment in time. What can I do for you, Vivian? I've made a mistake. And I would like my old position back. Well, how's it going to be any different? I'm still the same self-righteous It's not about you. It's about the work. I like the work. One, I want to commend you on your ability to fill in the blanks. You did not miss a beat. 
He admits his mistake. He has the internal fortitude to admit what he needs to do. He understands that there's a greater sense of purpose to, to what's ahead. It's almost a transcendent moment in the movie. Without being too, um, staying away from hyperbole, it almost, it feels like a Christ-like moment. I need to be about my work. And I can't let other things distract me from that. Well, there's two men on a journey. The other is Dr. Blaylock. We are shaped by the decisions we make, the choices, uh, uh, the choices we make on key issues, where we invest our energies, the quality of our relationships, the communities we connect with. Undoubtedly, there will be a moment of reflection. There will come a moment where you stop and think. Maybe it's between mountain one and mountain two. What I'm going to show you next is Blaylock is near the end. Much time has passed, and both men have done well. They have a strong, though unequal, relationship that is now frayed. And Dr. Blaylock is at the end, not of his career, but he's at the end of his life. Notice the two. You had something on your mind, Doctor? Yes, Columbia's been dangling an offer to teach, but I wanted to talk to you first. I really would like you to come with me, Vivian. They know about your work. You could write your own ticket. It's hard to imagine being there without you. Well, I thank you for thinking of me, Doctor. I think I should stay here. We could do great things there. Wouldn't it be fun to do it one more time? <sighs> one more time. Mm. I like what I'm doing. Teaching, helping people along, working with a young doctor. I like it here at Hopkins. Yeah, I guess you got your own things going on here now. I recognize this man. <laughs> man looks very distinguished up well, there. Well, thank you for That was a while ago. Yeah, I'm feeling the years now. <laughs> yes, yes. We all are now. You know, Vivian, they say you haven't really lived unless you have a lot to regret. I regret. I have some regrets. portrait of two men <clears throat> who have been on a powerful journey together at times. What did you see? In Blaylock, you see troubled, still searching. I can tell you, for a surgeon, I see my friend Terry Owen, if you want to stroke the ego of a surgeon, you recruit them. You, uh, there's nothing that makes them happier than when you wine and dine them, they feel so important. That's what Blaylock is looking for. One more round. Can I just do a first mountain activity one more time? And then he grips that chair. I have regrets. I'll let you fill in what you think those regrets are. For Vivian, what do you see? Settled, 
If you couldn't quite hear his words, I'll read them to you. I like it here. I like what I'm doing, teaching, helping people along, working with young doctors. One of the things Vivian did when he came back to Johns Hopkins is mentored young black men into the lab, 30 of them, of which 22 went on to be medical doctors. That's a legacy. That's second mountain. I think what you see in Vivian Thomas is someone settled sitting atop his second mountain. What do you want to say <clears throat> when that question gets asked of you, I'm feeling the years? Did you hear him say that in the wheelchair? Oh, I'm feeling the years. Maybe you're feeling the years. What's that reflection going to be? Is it going to be a Paul reflection? I fought the good fight. Is it a John the Baptist reflection? My time is done. I, I've done my work. I need to move on. I hope this movie, you let this movie challenge you. It's challenged me to do three things. Three things in particular. One, be ready to see who needs to be seen, recognized, and affirmed. Number two, be ready to act. Look for the person you can help get through the front door. And if you can't get them through the front door, walk with them to the back door. The third, and maybe the toughest, is search. Search for that feeling of being wronged. And even in its perfect justified sense that you see in Vivian, you got to let it go. Because it's the thing that keeps you from mo moving fully into what God has for you. Listen, at one level, this is just a movie. However, if you let it speak to your heart, I believe it will move you towards those open arms of Jesus. Beautiful. Um, David, again, thank you for uh, your message this morning. I've heard it twice and been inspired both times and for just stepping up at the last minute to do this. We really appreciate that. This is uh, the time in our service that you get to participate, whether you're here in our congregation or online. Uh, if you have some questions, uh, some comments or thoughts that you'd like to share with David, I'm going to be the facilitator for that, and I would encourage you to use the QR code you see on your screen or uh, here in the sanctuary, and just use that to submit your questions or uh, dial, or sorry, type in um, wholelife.church backslash live. Uh, we'll try to cover as many of those questions as we can. Whatever okay. we can't do today, we'll cover in our podcasts uh, that you can hear throughout the week. It's called This Is Whole Life, and that can be found anywhere that podcasts uh, are shared. So David... Um, first question uh, that we have is from someone who's anonymous and says, what beliefs do we embrace that make us complicit in the injustice of racism today? Yeah, I, um, one of the things that I really liked about the movie, and it's why I like that one scene with um, Vivian so much coming into the lobby, because by the time that occurred, he was already 10 years into his lab career and was already famous. He, he had accomplished much, which is what got the team recruited to Hopkins. And sometimes people, white people will tell others, work hard, just work your way through it. Work, work. Racism does not see achievement. Mm. That security guard could have cared less if Vivian was a Nobel Prize winner. Mm -hmm. He could not have worked hard enough to be treated fairly. And so sometimes I think unknowingly we will... Um, pile on or add to the problem just by saying, work hard. But you, and 
and yes, you have to do your work, but you have to acknowledge there's a difference between what someone can do and what a system won't allow to have happen. Mm -hmm. I, um, I was struck by the image of Christ and the security guard. Um, that really hit home to me. But there's another piece that you, or another uh, area that you teased out, which is the part about being seen. Um, and I think of how you talked about medical accomplishments and, and here's, you know, we take for granted the technology that we have today to accomplish and do these incredible things. But thinking back to who contributed to that, um, to make that happen, and the fact that this gentleman was not seen Right. And for many of us, we don't even know the story today. So I'm curious, from your perspective, on a pragmatic day-to-day -day basis, what does helping someone to be seen look like? Well, um, I think, if I understand your question, sometimes we have the feeling of somehow we just got here. No one was here before. We just happened to show up, and all this was here. And um, I remember when my daughter graduated from the, um, her grad school program, it was in Chicago, and where the, when they started the program, they said, we're going to pause and realize this was Native American land before the University of Chicago was here. And at first, that kind of struck me. I thought, what kind of liberal stuff is this? Come on, we're here at a graduation. Why bring that up? Because it allows you to see and understand what you're a part of. Right. And, the, and we're, we didn't just get here. Right. There's, there's nuances and historical facts and things that you have to understand that I think if we could allow that into our consciousness would probably create a more robust um, and balanced type of conversation and would allow us, allow us to see a lot of different things in our culture and the people in our culture in ways that I think would only be beneficial. Yeah. Um, we have another question here from uh, Nashville Tim. He says, how can we today continue to right the wrongs from the past? Okay, so what's the next question? <laughs> <clears throat> I, I, I don't know how to right the wrongs from the past. Um, I do think sometimes people use, uh, and I'm saying Nashville, Tim is saying that, which I hope he's in Nashville and not just using that name. He's actually in Topeka, nobody knows that. Um, but to, Topeka, Tim, just doesn't work. Um, what was the question? <laughs> No, how do we right the wrongs? I, I, you know what? That's a really complicated question that I don't, I wouldn't begin to really know the answer to. Um, other than, again, I, I kind of resent Stanton for not being here in one way because I'm not the perfect person to be talking about this. Um, other than, to, um, I would tell white people, listen. Don't assume you know other people's stories. Don't assume you know what journey they had to travel. I don't know that that magically undoes historical wrongs, but at least you can listen. Hmm. You can create a broader aperture for understanding. Um, and the problem, in, I hate sentences to start, the problem with society today has a hard time with meaningful conversations. Yeah. If they're not in 160 characters or on a two-minute soundbite or a post, we need broad, meaningful conversation that has, gives people the opportunity to listen. Yeah. <clears throat> I totally agree. Um, we have time for probably one more question, and uh, I'll use this one. So, how can I approach uh, how can I approach movies to power up my connection vertically and horizontally in Christ? Um, I I love movies. So this yes, this was last minute, but I love what again Ken has done here. I think two things have to happen. Um, the story I told at the beginning was true. That actually happened in my church. Uh, this, and by the way, we didn't get to go to the movie, just if you were wondering. 
I still haven't seen it, so I don't know what happened. I don't, don't spoil it. Don't spoil it. We need to put a little bit of, um, for me, I found it helpful just to put a little bit of my, I don't know what you would want to call it, um, my sense of being offended by what the world is offering on hold a little bit and just start to connect with some of this content because there's powerful stories being told and, it, and it's a shame to miss out on them. And yes, that may mean you have a word you have to bleep out, but you guys handled it. Nobody <laughs> ran out screaming. It was fine. I also think broader going than horizontally, the conversations. Yeah. Um, can we get together? I'd love to know what you thought about that movie. I would love to know, I talked with Ron Ryan after, after uh, first service, physician. I'd love to know his perspective on what Vivian did. I know we could all learn a lot from, from that kind of exchange. Yeah. And that's what I love about this series too. And just the thought behind parables, right? I yeah, mean, it's it, all it's, parables. Think about the parables <laughs> Jesus told, different contexts, different people, different life stories, different lessons. I think um, movies like this allow us the freedom and the grace to have a conversation. It, it creates a pretty safe space to be able to react to that right. without getting, because sometimes these conversations get too personal. Right. That's a pretty safe canvas to work off of. And how refreshing for me to share my perspective, for you to share your perspective. And there are nuances on both ends of our, our spectrum in life that we miss. And yeah. so having that open conversation um, just lends itself to better community. It does. Yeah. See, see the movie if you haven't seen it. Absolutely. Well, thank you, David. You bet. I really appreciate it. Okay. <clears throat> What's that? Okay. <laughs> Let's close with prayer. Dear God, we thank you for the time we've been able to share together this morning, this afternoon. Lord, we know we live in a complicated world and sin has made it so bad. Lord, we want to be seen by you and help us to see all in your family. Help us to build authentic connections and a strong community that allows us to, to, to better understand your will for our lives, but also to spread that good news all throughout our community. Let us be that place that sees and affirms and welcomes to, help, to whoever is, is around us. But Lord, again, we thank you for the time and space we've had today. We pray in your name. Amen. Hi, this is Randy McGray, podcast producer and host here at Whole Life Church. Loving people into a lifelong friendship with God is our mission at the Whole Life Church, and our podcasts, Speaking of Grace, and its companion, 15 with Andy, Randy, and Jeff, are designed to help facilitate conversations that help us grow together in that pursuit. Now that you've heard the message for this week, don't forget to check out the Whole Life Takeaways for this message. Swipe up in today's show notes and join the conversation. Speaking of conversations, each Wednesday morning we take a closer look at the week's message. That's right, the one you just listened to. We discuss practical ways to apply spiritual lessons and ask honest questions about the issues we face as Christians, all focused through the lens of grace. Your voice is a welcomed addition to that conversation. We encourage your thoughts and your questions by sending a voicemail or text to 407-965-1607 or send an email to podcast at wholelife.church. You can find everything podcast-related on our website, wholelife.church slash podcast. And plan on spending every Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning with us as we bring you the Whole Life Church inspiration you love straight into your headphones. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.